Speak and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, where we break down issues of religion and faith to help gain a better understanding of the sacred and secular. The Ethics of Prayer in Politics. In this episode, we examine the controversy surrounding the abuse of prayer in politics. While open prayer for God should be void of human agenda and personal preferences, many religious leaders have used prayer as a tool to advance their own political interests, sometimes at the expense of the church and society. Some religious leaders have used public prayers to advance their personal agendas or point fingers at others, and there is growing concerns that some of these leaders have become too involved in politics, which can dilute the message of the gospel. We'll also reflect on the need for American evangelicalism to uphold the integrity of the gospel and to resist the law of politics that can weaken its message. We'll discuss the importance of the church as an agency of change rather than an influencer of biased depravity and the need for religious leaders to focus on the sacred preaching desk rather than the podiums of public discourse. Thank you all for joining us on this episode as Dr. Mark helps us navigate this complex issue and he'll offer insights into how religious leaders can stay true to the spiritual calling while also engaging with the public sphere. Dr. Mark Rivera, thank you for being here. Thank you for talking about this. Why are we talking about ethics, the ethics of prayer and politics? What, what inspired this? Well, first of all, let me just uh, just thank you and, and the audience for allowing me this time to be able to share some thoughts and insights and, and really to learn together with regard to this very important topic that is rising to the surface today more than ever before, where we see um, the church, um, and not just the church evangelical, but people of faith being drawn together to uh, respond and address uh, social issues that are uh, uh, impacting humanity, and and also how we see people that are in um, not specifically clergy people, uh, laity, but because they sit in positions of power or authority in government and in other places, they 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 use and in my view sometimes even abuse mm. uh, prayer, um, and and so today I think what we what we should try to strive to do, and I hope we get there in this segment, is to bring some clarity as to what prayer is and how it can impact, uh, when used appropriately, impact the context, but when it's misused, uh, it can actually be detrimental. And, and let me just start off by saying, I really don't believe that many of these people and leaders that are praying are intentionally trying to cause division or misuse prayer but sometimes prayer or the concept of prayer becomes a, a convenient commodity mm. uh, for whatever agenda they might have, and then they get drawn into that, and before you know it, they're almost acting like religious leaders rather than you know uh, uh, community leaders or elected officials or corporate leaders or whatever. So I think that's what brings us to this conversation today. Yeah, yeah. So clearly prayer, anybody, whether you're religious or not, prayer shouldn't be a... a a surprising topic or something important to do for any religion, really, right? That sounds pretty common. People may not fully understand um, the significance of it or things like that. But on this episode, we're basically talking about how, yeah, prayer is a good thing. Prayer is something we should all exercise. It's a spiritual discipline, according to to Christians. It definitely seems like a relevant thing. But, but so, what what is prayer? Like, what? Is, I mean, I kind of gave some hints here, but you're the expert. To, I'm not, to help I'm, us, I can only speak from my experience. I don't yeah. know about the expert. I, this one I can talk to a little bit because it's a personal discipline of mine and practice. But mm -hmm. I think we need to get back down to the or back to the very fundamental thing about prayer as an idea, a concept, and a discipline. Mm -hmm. And, and if you, you look at mankind, humanity, across the spectrum of religion and theology and people's philosophical look, look, views of life now and life after, prayer or somehow reaching toward the divine, toward the cosmic, has been an urging of mankind right from the beginning. I mean, you look at any culture, even those that are uh, cultures that um, uh, throughout the world that are sometimes how sadly they're categorized as civilized or uncivilized. Mm. That aside, those, those labels aside, 
Human beings have always had this intention of reaching out to the divine and the cosmic or God, right? Mm. However they view it, however they define it. It's across the religious spectrum, as I just said a few moments ago. And if you look at the definition of prayer as being that, somehow trying to connect a human being, trying to connect with God, then we can really, a very broad, broad definition, and we'll narrow it down as we go through the through this session, very broad definition, even art. You know, when you look at art, even music, even sculptors, you know, that they, they were drawing and sculpting things from their imagination into uh, and bringing to reality that that was outside of the reality, but definitely uh, sitting inside of their brain or in their mind. So in a way, that's that's the intent. Now, I'm not calling that prayer. I'm just saying that's the intent, the idea, the inclination of the human spirit to lean toward the divine, hmm. toward to lean toward the cosmic that's been part of humanity. Okay. Now, if we fast forward that, because you know we can go phase by phase by phase, and we'll need a long, 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 long session or series to be able to go through those phases. If we fast forward to now, I, I, we need to have a working definition. So let, let, let me go there first, or second, I should say, because I just said first <laughs> the other thing. Um, uh, a, a working definition. A working definition would be something like... Um, you used the word already. A spir- uh, it's a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And, it, and then there's some layers to that. One, that seeks to connect us with God or the person with God. Mm. To, uh, two, to establish a two-way relationship. Because uh, prayer is not just um, uh, talking and speaking, but it's also listening. In fact, in, in depending upon the circumstance and situation, most of the time should be spent even listening to what God is saying. And not saying in the way of the five senses, but what are the impression we're getting uh, from the Lord? Some people say they hear his voice and all of that. I've never heard his voice, but I've sent, sensed promptings in my heart with regard to mm. prayer. So prayer is um, a spiritual discipline. It is not a, a political uh, discipline. And here's where we start getting into the murkiness of it. It's not an academic exercise. It really isn't. It isn't the babblings of words, you know, putting together words. It really is a spiritual discipline. And a spiritual discipline is something that we do because it strengthens us spiritually. It brings us to a point of maturation spiritually. All right? So it, 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 prayer is something also that is, and it's a discipline because it's tough to do. It's like if the doctor tells you, well, you have to go do some exercise. You know, some people just don't like to exercise it's because it's work, because it's painful. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get a, a sore muscles and all that. But you do it because you know at the outcome it's going to be a good thing. So spiritual disciplines are the same thing. Most people don't like to fast. Most people don't like to pray, mm. you know, in a systematic way. You do it in a case of emergency, but you, you know, or a crisis that visits the family. But you normally don't fall into that as something that you're striving to do. So it's mm. called a spiritual discipline. But it's that drive, that's that inclination to connect with God. And then to establish a relationship with him through this prayer, which is two-way. I'm just repeating what I said before so that we'll get it. And and then we alternate back and forth between speaking and listening to God. Speaking and listening to God. Now, there's, there's two, and this is very basic rudimentary right now. There's two basic forms of prayer. One is the personal and the private prayer. And confidential, I'm going to use that word as well. It's that time when the individual goes out and 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 seeks a, a posture because you know people say you have to pray kneeling down. No, no, it's it's the communication that you have, the connection, the plugging into that you do uh, with God. And so uh, it is personal and private. No one to hears that conversation. The second form of prayer, and this is where we're, what we're talking about now, is. The corporate and public prayer, that's the prayer that's spoken outwardly to a group of people and everyone hears it and can record it. Mm-hmm. That's the prayers that we're probably alluding to in this session. Um, but we don't get to the second in an effective way unless we understand the first. So we first mm-hmm. have to understand that prayer is that individual. As a Christian, I use the example of Jesus in Gethsemane. We just got through a Holy Week. Yeah. When he's there praying, he went with his disciples. So that's like a corporate group experience. Mm-hmm to the garden to go pray. But then if you read the text carefully, it says that then he separated himself from the group and went aside to an area away from them to pray privately. So they went together as a group to pray. 
But then Jesus' example is that then he went off and to a private area. So to, even Jesus prayed privately. Yes, yes. And, and it's important <laughs> to see that, in fact, I believe that the most effective moments in prayer, as far as the result of the prayer that come to us, is the time that we spend privately, not the time that we pray publicly. Because the Lord, the Lord you know, um, and I'm going to quickly run to my, my um, tradition, and that is, if you look at Scripture, you'll find very clearly, even... even uh, uh, the, the scripture where it says that the, the Lord was teaching the disciples and he's telling them about prayer uh, found in Matthew's chapter, or I believe it was chapter six, that he says, you know, don't pray to show off in front of people. Basically, that's what he's saying. Yeah. So he's alluding there, don't do the public prayer that way. He says, and then in that same passage, it's interesting, Matthew, because in that same passage, then he runs off and he says, but go and lock yourself off privately. So even the Lord there is teaching us that you have to first start with the personal, private, confidential time in order then to build up. I think we get it backwards sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I could actually read that that message uh, uh, from the Bible just to have everyone can know exactly where. So it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And it says, um, and I'm reading from the NIV uh, version, it says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites. I thought that was pretty That's interesting. A heavy word. Do not be like the hypocrites, <laughs> for they love, and they are the hypocrites, right? Mm-hmm. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full their reward in full. But when you pray, like you just said, Doctor Mark, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I, I, that's those two verses say a lot about prayer. <laughs> Absolutely, and then and then when you couple that, Jesus was the example of that in gets back to Gethsemane. So really, the effectiveness of our prayer is not how we pontificate in front of an audience or in front of a congregation or in front of a church or in front of a convention or a group and use eloquent words. Mm. Um, it is really the time that we spend. Privately and privately, when you're praying, you don't even worry about conjugating verbs and making sure you start sentences correctly and your, mm. your grammatical structures are fine. You just cry out the the, the pleas of your heart. So that's the, the the foundation of prayer is that it starts from that personal time. Now, if we fast forward to today, we're seeing abuses. You know, we're, we're literally abuses of prayer. And I don't. Again, I I I I feel bad using that word, but that's that's what it is. It's abuses, whether it's intentional or not. I think that's secondary. But there are abuses. Like you know, you you hear today, you know, there's massive um, gun violence, right, with assault weapons in yeah. schools and our children. We just you know we hear this so too often, too many yeah. times. And I always marvel when, and it's usually elected officials, or it usually is elected officials, when they say, well, you know, we, 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 we send our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, that's a common saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you know, really, that's, that's, that's a, a fake humility, a fake spirituality, unless they really are, they're sending thoughts, but are, unless they really are praying, mm. you know? And there it is in the public prayer, because we play, pray beautifully publicly. Mm. I've done invocations, you know, in in. in seats of power when they're convening legislatures and all that. I've done those things. Um, but it's the personal prayer. So when they say things like that, it's like almost insulting really to a the the, the true essence and meaning of prayer in the hearts of people. So I, I view that as, a, as an abuse. And people say that so readily, even people that don't profess any faith whatsoever. Well, we'll send our thoughts and prayers. We send our, And that's supposed to also bring healing to the families that are alive you know from uh, losing losing their family members yeah. right the families of the victims and it's just wrong it's just wrong it's an abuse of, of that and we shouldn't be doing that it pays if it, it presents a fake spirituality it also presents fake compassion that's not compassion that's so that like jesus said so that you can look good in front of your constituency you stand yeah. up in a podium and you pontificate you don't even pray. You just say, we send prayers. And I, my question would be, well, did, when did you pray? Before you went to the microphone? After? Why don't you just stop now and pray? Or did you really pray? So the word hypocrisy that the Lord uses, it applies even today. Yeah, no, that, that I can see that, that connection for sure. So just to kind of su- sum up this um, working definition of prayer that we have, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline, helps us to uh, connect 
to the divine, right? We're thinking about it in just very general terms. Yes. So, and just just to kind of be clear too, with just you know, I don't want to get too into what spiritual disciplines are, but essentially, correct me if I'm wrong. It's 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 almost like working out, right? You you do these specific exercises to strengthen yourself physically. Correct. Spiritual disciplines are things you exercise actually do it's an actionable thing Correct. to help strengthen your spiritual growth yeah that's a wonderful way of looking okay. at it and you think about you know you think about regular relationships father son relationships mm-hmm. uh, husband and wife relationships uh worker and boss relationships the more that you communicate the more that you seek to establish a line of communication, the better you know the other person, the better you know the other person, the stronger the relationship becomes. Yeah. Right? So it's it, the same application is for the spiritual discipline. The more we seek after God, and I'm being very general, and you know, I don't want our, our listeners to judge me in any way. I, I come from a context. I don't come from a vacuum. So I am a Christian, and so I have to view it, that that informs what I say, but I also want to make my statements to accommodate other people that might have other views, you know, because I know they, they do listen to us. So it's not, I'm not trying to be offensive or controversial. I'm simply speaking from my experience and my context. So as a result, in praying, yeah. and especially the private element of that spiritual discipline, where you're hearing God and where you're speaking to God and you're hearing him and hearing him is a poor English word because it's not about hearing with the ear. It's your sensing impulses, mm-hmm. promptings into your heart. That in, that alone, that discipline then strengthens the relationship that you have with God. Yeah. And it also sounds like as you get more spiritual strength, it gives you the authority to then be in that public sphere when you exercise prayer publicly, potentially. It's because I'm uh, with the example that you said with relationships, you know, father and son or a husband and wife. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if if a, if a wife was telling me, if somebody was telling me something about their husband, mm-hmm. I would really believe what they're saying about their husband rather than maybe their coworker mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, that's a tighter relationship. So with those public, I'm trying to uh, almost do this analogy of uh, trying to bridge the gap now as, as now that we've established what prayer is. Now let's connect it to the politics part, right? Like now that we see, yeah, prayer should start and always be exercised privately. And it, and it sounds like you're saying there's nothing wrong with praying publicly. No, there isn't anything. So wrong. where do we get into this kind of uh, weird, unethical area now with prayer and politics? Because I noticed the Bible doesn't really have anything spe- you know, explicitly about that, right. those two things together. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's when, when you hear and see, and it's happening. I mean, I've, re- I've read it in, in Christian journals and also secular journals where national Christian leaders are are because of the current climate uh, politically and, and and also internationally in our, in our world, uh, uh, recognize a Christian leaders stand up and they want to pray the will of God, right? And, yeah, and right. <laughs> wonderful words. They sound so spiritual, so benevolent, but when you start to analyze it, they're not really speaking prayer. They're they're speaking politics. And that's where the, 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 the connection with God does not need political fuel to strengthen the connection. It's the other way around. Mm. You know, we, we, we can't use the public discourse as a place to, one, define God, right? Um, and, and, that, and sometimes, sadly, that's what the prayers do. They try to define God, put him into a box. And then the other thing is we have to be held accountable for the words that we say. So if I go up as a, as a leader and I'm stand, standing in a public podium, this is not my church where I'm, you know, the, the platform of my church, but rather public podium, and I'll say something, let's pray, for example, to give an example that will be helpful, let's pray the will of God over this certain situation that's happening, right? Mm. That's a wonderful statement. Where we ruin it is the second statements that we make. Right, so if you're asking the will of God, that to me speaks of trusting God that whatever He wants to do, I'm going to accept. I may not like it, but I'm going to accept. So when you say let's pray the will of God, that speaks to me about trusting that God, as the sovereign one, as the benevolent one, as the Almighty one, He's going to make a determination on this prayer that I'm making. But when I I could ruin it when I say. I'm going. I want to. Let's all join together a, a prayer for the will of God. That God will not only take care of a person, for example, or a plan or an agenda, but then that the Lord will also destroy or eliminate or 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 make irrelevant the discussions of other people. Now that's that's now my my agenda. So wait, wait. Let's make up our mind. Is it the will of God or is it my agenda? Is it the will of God that I trust Him implicitly that He will do what is right, or is it then? 
my will being injected into this bubble called prayer, making me look very spiritual. And then people that are listening on the other side, at the moment, they get caught in the passion of the moment and they'll say, they'll start praying that way. That is not the will of God. I've, I've always said, God needs a good lawyer that will sue all these people that start misusing him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, know? but that's a good point because you're, you're, you're essentially saying, you know, if you're, if you're starting a prayer asking for the will of God, but then we end up hearing that person's will and not the will of God, there you go. especially if it doesn't align with... So like right now I'm thinking, I'm trying to get a little bit more specific. I know we try to tread carefully because we don't want to offend anybody's political views. Well, Poli- sometimes, you have politics, to, you know, yeah. sometimes you have to trouble people's heart. In yeah, order of course, to, yeah. of course. But politics can be very sensitive, especially nowadays yes. uh, in the United States. But what we said in the, in the introduction to this episode about how prayer in politics, the misuse of prayer in politics can dilute the gospel. The gospel is not about division, right? Right. The gospel isn't about save some, kill others, <laughs> right. right? Yes. I mean, good. and again, I'm trying not to get, I'm trying not to that's get good, too specific on, on specific issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I do kind of want to touch one that I feel like is controversial, but hopefully no one gets offended, but even something as immigration. I would assume that's a good example of something that is sense like, how do you pray? Let's say your stance is nobody else could come into this country. Right. But how do you pray that prayer at the expense of people potentially also losing their lives? Because there's some people that right. are literally coming over here for asylum, for right. truly life and death situations. Yeah. How do you justify that and still align, you know, yeah. still call yourself a Christian or Muslim or Jewish or whatever your religion right, is? Right, right. In fact, I'm not trying to bail you out because you, 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 <laughs> you, you dug that hole so you dug, you dig yourself out. Uh, climb yourself out, but you already uh, you already alluded to something that I was thinking, and this is advice that I I would give to a fellow clergy person. Uh, oftentimes, we think that uh, politics is all about a person in a specific mm-hmm. office or a party that defines your platform or your values. Okay. The in this in this in the church world or in the faith world, faith community, the best way in my my approach, and this is what I've taken through the years is I stick to policy. So, for example, going to your, you, you mentioned now, um, controversial as it is, such as abortion is also contribu- controversial. Yes, and and we can go on and on and, and prison reform. There's so many things that are right now controversial. If we stick to the topic, to the policy, rather than speak the agenda of a particular party, we're not going to get into trouble. Because And then if, even if we pray, so if you, if you have a policy and you're praying the policy, Lord, let your will be done in the area, to use your, the topic you brought up, in the area of immigration, Lord, that we might be clear to understand what is your will for that, yeah. rather than, well, you know, because my party and my leader or whatever says this, that's what I'm going to say. No, 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 no. We're individuals to think, and particularly Christians, we have to be critical thinkers. But we all, and leaders in particular, we have to be critical thinkers and you have to make sure you're aware of what the discussion is. I've always said you cannot critique something unless you understand it first. Whether you agree with it or not, you cannot critique it. So back to the area of immigration. Make yourself as versed. Now, I'm speaking specifically to leaders right now. As versed as you can in those areas, understand the, the points of the argument, but stay there. Don't then go and lift up the banner of a particular party or person or personality or whatever, because then that's 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 political. You want to stay on the policy side of it, you know, dealing with our seniors. Uh, you know, you go back to the whole COVID-19 situation rather than this is what my party says and this is what my party leader says. You have to back away and try to analyze the the actual policy and topic. And then and then once you understand it, then you're able to pray that through. And so often we bring in the political side. And, and you know, really what it amounts to, I think one of the things that informs it or misinforms it so that we misuse it is really the, the distinction between power and authority. It, it really is that. Yeah. You know, that people want to exercise, whether they're in politics in a seated office, you know, of politics, or people of faith that are trying to uh, straddle both. You know, the most uncomfortable place for a leader to be is sitting on a fence. Very uncomfortable. Mm. Even when you think of the physical picture of sitting on a fence, <laughs> you have to fall one way. That's a funny other. image, yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes, what what happens is leaders are uh, trying to balance the church light with other uh, social situations. 
right? And it's very difficult to do. And it's really about power and authority. And power is a person getting elected and going into office. Authority is something that springs out of your personality, your temperament, your integrity. Mm. Let, me, let me give you an example. For example, um, Mother Teresa, right? Yes. I love her. I love her. I mean, she, <laughs> I did. She brought an example of, 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 of ha- having a, a, a theology of the poor, of poverty. And uh, Mother Teresa never held office. Mm. Never, that's power. But there's no question that she had authority because she was able to influence not just her own Catholic tradition, but she was also able to influence government officials and countries. Yeah. And so you understand? So there we see one never ran for office, you know, and yet was able to to uh, influence in a powerful, powerful way. I mean, if we look at um, for those theologians out there, Dietrich Bonf- Bonhoeffer, right, never held office. And this is during the German influence in, in World War II, all of that, World War I, World War II. Uh, he rises up as a theologian, right? And he speaks truth to power and visited New York. You know, we, we, wonderful history. You need to read his, his history. Never, my point, the point I want to make is never held public office. Yeah. But there's no question, and that's power, but no question of his authority, and authority, authority is based on your character, based on your personality, based on 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 the integrity of who you are as a person. You look at um when we were fighting apartheid down in in South Africa, right? Yeah. And I mean we, I mean we. I don't mean me. We as an American. <laughs> we as me. We as a human being. Yeah. The human beings when we were fighting the atrocities of apartheid, right? At that point. Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, rises up, mm, yeah. and he becomes the voice for of injustice. Right? Yeah. Never held. Now he was appointed to the commission that was going to deal with those injustices, but he never held elected office, power. But yet, there's no question about authority. Yeah. So I think even uh, Martin Luther King too technically had no political uh, uh, title. He I'm, was just the reverend, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly tr- you're right. Exactly. Yeah. He and he was able to really f- shape the, the 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 face of social justice here in this country. Yeah. And you look at someone, you know, another one that I admire, and I had the honor, an incredible honor, to meet him and be in his home for a while. A Billy Graham, mm. right? Uh, no longer with us. Never held elected office. Right. He wasn't even a national leader. He was an international leader. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty big. Yeah, yeah huge. <laughs> Yet when you look at him, never held office, but the the weight of his character, mm-hmm. of his integrity, of who he was, the person that he was, that gave him the authority then to be able to speak to countries, to nations, and meet with prime ministers and presidents and all sorts of people and influence them to be able to do what's right and just before God. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. So what responsibility do religious leaders have then like should they do they outside of studying the gospel knowing knowing their spiritual disciplines and things like that it sounds to me as i'm listening to this conversation they also need to be up to date with with politics and current events kind of too i mean what do you what are your thoughts on that and how engaged they should be in general how you know how, how should they keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on outside of the church i think you hit it right on the head they have to be leaders unlike the laity you're leading a congregation of people and in, in the congregation regardless of number of people hmm. you have people uh, sitting there or now with technology listening to you through streaming that can influence policy so you have to be able to be careful what you say how you say it um, and then give people guidance that they can make wise choices when they see, sit in the positions of power. It's not just politics, but it's also in the corporate world as well. And so I, I really feel that um, leaders need to be versed and knowledgeable to the extent that they're capable, right, mm. of, of, uh, uh, of what goes around in the community, uh, in, the, in the public square, if you will, to use it more, more of a vernacular that's closer to home, the, the, the public square. And like, for example, if you're a leader of a congregation, a spiritual leader, you need to know who the elected officials are or they need to know you. Mm. I have not, I've met, you know, I've been privileged to meet we, quite a few and elected officials will not, will not ignore the, a call from a reverend or, or an imam or a rabbi. They will not. They're not going to ask, well, how big is this church and congregation or, you know, none of that. They will respond. And I think there needs to be a certain level of knowledge of who is there and not, and it has to. Be, you have to watch your your personal agenda and separate that from the agenda for the people, right? Mm. 
Um, it isn't so you can get a job for somebody in your family. It isn't so they can write off a ticket that you got from parking your car in the wrong place and that yeah. kind of stuff. And No, no. It's simply because you need to know what is going on. And more importantly, they need to know that you know. Mm. You know? Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> uh, so you, you have to have, uh, you, you have to be careful when you skirt so close to the political world not to be drawn in and to the politics and, you, and, and then you mix up your personal agenda and then the next step that happens, you, you ethics becomes very weak and gets weakened. And then before you know it, you're crossing the line and doing things you shouldn't be doing. So, yeah, I believe that leaders need to most definitely be aware. And aware means that you, you know, read the paper, watch the news, see how it affects your community and the world. You have to have an agenda. But then you also have, uh, uh, you, have you also have to have, to have a Christian, in my, in my experience, in my tradition, I have to have a Christian, a working evangelical worldview hmm. worldview for example let me give you an example for me um my working worldview one of the points is there's a i narrowed it down to four there's a lot more but there's really basically four i believe that every human being is made in the image of god mm-hmm. there's intrinsic value in every human being regardless of what religion regardless if they don't even have religion if they don't have spiritual nothing you know regardless if their life is a mess or it isn't a mess every human being has the intrinsic value placed there by God, the imago, what we call the imago Dei, the image of God, created in the image of God, every person. So then as a result, when I, I need to make myself aware of what policies would infringe upon the image of God, mm. celebrating and protecting that person. So Im- immigration, I would look at immigration through that point of my worldview, right? Uh, 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 children not being taken care of or being displaced, yeah, even things like gun violence, which is a very volatile issue, very yeah. volatile, very volatile in the church um, today, you know, because it's it's all misrepresented. If we sit down and study it clearly, you know, we, we, I think we'll have a better, uh, not only a better understanding, but also a, a, a more thoroughly thought through agenda. But even there, I look at it as even little children have the image of God, yeah, yeah. you know, so we have to protect them. Seniors, right, when you have senior abuse and all that. They have the image of God. So you develop uh, a relationship with the community, with the context, with the public square based on your worldview. Oftentimes people don't understand what their worldview is. You know, I believe, for example, my worldview with regard to back to the image of God, there's intrinsic value and it even speaks to when life actually begins, my view of, of the image of God, mm-hmm. right? When. So we have to take care of people from, you know, from the time they're born all the way till they pass on and leave earth and go on to the transition into eternity. We have to have policies that will protect that, including housing, education, medical care, you know, uh, back to immigration. How do we do it in a, fa- in a way that's fair and equitable, you know, to everyone? And, it, and th- these aren't easy. I'm not presenting easy solutions that we resolve them over a weekend, you know, while we're drinking you know, hot chocolate and have you some cheese with it as well. <laughs> you know, we have to wrestle through this and it's really a lifelong endeavor to see changes occur. You know, the, the issue here in big cities, the issue of gentrification, right? For example, where, the, where we're displacing people that have been living in communities for a long, long time simply because economically they can't afford to live there anymore. And so, you know, uh, people with, that, are, that are more um, settled financially can come in and, you know, buy properties and all of that. To me, I look at that through the lens of the image of God. So then that establishes my agenda. So you become learned uh, or studied in those particular areas, not just the theology, but also then the secular. You carry them. What is it? You have to carry the Bible on one hand and the newspaper on the other. That's kind of Mm -hmm. like what you need to do. And then dance the dance that you have to dance in the public square in order to meet the needs of people. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me that, you you know, your advice for religious leaders is stay true to what is forever true right especially if you're coming if you're thinking from the perspective of christianity what the bible says you don't waver from those things that are just eternally true from there but at the same time you stay connected with politics and current events to see how you could help bridge that gap of what is actually god's will not the political will but what's god's will and how that fits in the culture and, and society in which you do your ministry and you know, and some folks are going to get upset at you, 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 because as a leader, also you have to be able as a religious, spiritual person, and this applies to everyone. At the end of the day, you have to land somewhere. Mm-hmm. You have to land somewhere, and you cannot just 
uh, not go there, whatever there might be, wherever that landing place is, because people are going to get offended. You have to have values that you stand by and not stand in a way to have a big, gigantic mallet and bash people on the head with, but rather that informs how you make your decisions. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a, a while back, and we were having a conversation and um, um, and he's very well known, and we, we were discussing this issue of same-sex marriage, for example, right? And I was listening to him intently because he's really, really sharp, and I admire him very much. And I was just listening to him to try and see, you know, where, where he came from. And then he tells me of an incident where he was being interviewed in a, in a, in a station, and then they were, now they were going to break, oh, break to an, a commercial. And so at the end, the, the person interviewing him says, well, where do you really stand on this, for or against uh, same-sex marriage? And then just seconds before they close out, you know, they go off to commercial, he said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not for it at all. I'm for traditional marriage. And then they went to commercial. Mm. That's an interesting, for me, that's a wonderful example because at the end of the day, you've got to land somewhere. Mm. You really do. You know, you, we can't be ambiguous or as Jesus said in the passage you read before, the, the, the start of the, the, the episode, you, you'll end up becoming a hypocrite. People don't know where you stand. Now, understanding there too that it's going to be unpopular. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think we can still disagree and still be loving. Mm. I really believe that. That sounds like a novel idea. Oh yeah, that, that's never going to happen. No, I think you can be disagreeing on a, on a point and and uh, and still love on people. You know, you you can still love people even though I mean, parents do this all the times. You know, their children make decisions in life that is not what their parents want, right? But the parents don't, you know, write them off. Yeah, you still continue loving the the people. So I think you can make that, but you have to stand for something. You have to hold on to your values. I don't think we have to defend the God. God is very good at defending Himself. Yeah. And oftentimes we feel like we're, we're the, the emissary to defend God. Who am I? So taking a stance doesn't necessarily mean you have to now divide yourself from people who have a different stance, yeah. basically. If, that's a good yeah. statement. You know, and what it reminds me of also uh, that, that oftentimes people get upset not at what you said, mm. but the way you said it. You know, you told me you were very condescending with that. Mm. Yeah. So it's not what you said. And oftentimes we got to be mature enough to try and handle things and still be who we are, but not make not not intending to offend people, not intending to break all the the, the glass in the glass in the in the china store, you know, the, the hardware, the, the the in in the store, um, but rather it's what it's the way we say it. There's a I don't remember where the statement comes from, but you know people will always remember not what you said, but how you made them feel. Basically, mm. is what it is. You know how they felt. And that's what they're going to remember. So if we keep that in mind, uh, we'll be able to have, uh, you know, stand on a, on a position. I mean, I mean, and you go down the whole litany of what political candidates, especially now that we're heating up to another com- another uh, election cycle, you know, uh, there's controversial issues. I'm sure we don't disagree on every single issue, but there's some issues that we just don't agree on and we will never will. We never will. I'm sorry, but I'm just never going to, I'm not going to land there with you, you yeah. know, or, or, or that. The danger becomes that if we, when you become informed in on the political realm, you might be a one, a one, a cat, a one topic religious leader. So you can't put everything, everything, everything on one specific topic or subject. Immigration, the one that you used before, you you have to be able to see through the lens of scripture, having a healthy worldview, through the lens of scripture, where you can land, even though it's controversial you at a moment yeah it's funny that as you're talking about this the the bible story that comes to mind is uh is uh when jesus is like he who is without sin cast the first stone when he intervened and and essentially saved this woman's life who was going to get stoned for clearly a lifestyle that i that it's very obvious jesus does not agree with her lifestyle right but right. not at the expense of her losing her life you know that was something Correct. like it like you know his his Love can still be exhibited, you know, kind of what we're talking about here, even if your stance is different than the someone else's. It doesn't mean you have to kill them to that extreme. And, and I'm sure him intervening and stopping them from stoning her was controversial at the time and right. that culture back then because it was very typical. Oh, this person is living this very extremely sinful life. They deserve death and they can kill this person guilt-free. Whereas in Jesus' point of view, it's like, no, this person 
doesn't have to always live like this first of all like there there is redemption for this person you don't need to kill this person person yeah that's that's a very good example that you present and you know if we keep expanding the discussion on on you know public policy you look at um uh, executions right Mm -hmm. capital capital punishment capital punishment right um and we're we're probably the only or if not a handful of countries worldwide that actually kill people you know and I I have to let at the end of the day, at the end of the analysis of the public information and what is coming out and what the Bible says, right? Mm. I always default to scripture. Mm. You cannot go back and forth and be sweet. You have to even though it's not the so for example, I'll, I'll like I'll define myself now on this point in, in capital punishment. If I believe in the image of God being in people, yeah, I have no right whatsoever to kill anybody regardless of the the atrocity that they've committed Mm. i can't why because we have to give room that at some there's a possibility at some point in that person's life that they will receive the light of the gospel of christ in their lives but if you kill them you've stopped that from happening and then we have to go back on the psychological emotional side of the national psychology of of why we we um we're we're so enamored sometimes with capital punishment, and that is is it because we're reacting in anger to make that person pay because that person can't live because that sin was so horrible or that crime rather was so horrible that the only the only way to met out justice is to kill that person too mm-hmm. let them let them suffer like I'm suffering. Mm. That's the wrong. Mo- we have to go back to scripture. Yeah, back that again. sounds like vengeance, not justice. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, is it difficult? Absolutely, it's tough. Course, yeah. You know, if, if you're it's a complex. parent, that yeah. somebody killed your your son, your oh, son yeah. or daughter, or oh, something yeah. like that, or a drunk driver, you know, killed your family. I, I got that. I got that. But we have to be able to be informed. But then, where do we default to? And for me, I default to scripture. Mm. I default to scripture that at the end, and some people say I forgive, but they should they should rot in, in they should rot in hell, <laughs> they should rot in jail. You know, yeah. wait a minute, that's anger speaking. Mm. You know, and the, is that true forgiveness? Yeah, no, it, it is not. But so sometimes we gloss over things, and we are informed more by our passion. And and, and so back to prayer, back to prayer, because. Oftentimes, that's what you'll see in the public square. That's what you'll see religious leaders saying, "Let's pray," and they're really talking about their own personal agenda, uh, and and they and and not understanding the what I mentioned before, politi- uh, I'm sorry, power and authority, and that's what's motivating motivating them, and also the misinterpretation of scripture that they're reading. I don't know sometimes what scripture they read, <laughs> if they do, you know. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I really mean that because. Uh, anyway, reading the Bible is also a spiritual discipline as well, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. one of them that we have, and yeah. we have a whole episode about the Bible as well. For anybody who hasn't checked that out, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you before we close, a uh, slightly more personal, only because you know you you've been a pastor for a very long time, most of your life at this point, right? Yes, uh, yes. and you know you have never held political office. But you have a pretty healthy relationship with local leaders and politicians. Yes. You've had a couple of mayors throughout the year visit the church, give us some proclamations, right? Right. Some right. proclamations for us. You met governors of New York too. Uh, so just more, and who have visited here. Um, so what what's what's been your personal experience? How do you approach being a religious leader? And politics, when you have moments like that, where you have a, 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 p- a prominent political leader visiting, or or even privately, like how do how do you navigate that? More for our other listeners who may, you know, be new to that and may need some advice on how to navigate that. Yeah, I approach those relationships as a spiritual leader, not as a spiritual leader seeking uh, political office or political influence. Not at all. It's all, and then so as a pastor, I approach those relationships, whether it's public or private. Uh, uh, very confidentially and very pastorally. Mm. So I'm more interested in the person than anything else. That's just my nature. That's you know I guess that's why the Lord called me to be a pastor. That's that's what I do. Is just to um, seek uh, people to feel comfortable and then to guide them that way and always to pray. You remember when we had the the governor of New York here, which by the way created controversy for me because of her public uh, political policies. Yeah. Right. But I wasn't endorsing the policies. What I was doing was endorsing the person because yeah. she also contains the image of God, back to the way I do it, right? And I didn't get up there when she was here to uh, to spew my my uh, philosophy on uh, 
how she's too liberal or whatever it might be. That wasn't the visit at all. The visit was an elected official has to be treated differently. I'm going to talk about that too before we close about how we should pray when it comes to elected officials. So when she came here and I met her prior and I met her afterwards also, and now there's a connection made, it's always me as a pastor, not me as a, a community leader. That's the wrong label for me. I'm a pastor. I'm a religious leader. That's I leave it there. And, and then what I do is whenever I meet with them, there's always a spiritual component. So if they're Christian, I will more than likely give them a Bible or something like that or, or a Christian book kind of to read. Always I will pray. In fact, I always even pray when they're not Christian. I ask their permission to pray privately. Hmm. Uh, I keep the conversations we have confidential. I'll go to the grave with whatever it is we talked about because in the political world, that's what they want. They don't want somebody calling them out on something, which is fine. That's also not my nature. I don't call people out. I have a lot of con- you know a lot of confidential stuff that's stored in my mind forever, buried in my mind some of it, and some I can't even recall anymore. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but uh, that's the gift that you give political leaders. And then I prayed for them. When you remember when the governor, when she came here, her husband came, and I called her husband up and I prayed a blessing over their marriage. Their marriage. They need yeah. to be healthy and strong and doing whatever they do. So that's how I maintain relationships. And then when they're no longer in office, because back to the image of God, these are human beings, I try to stay connected as well, even when they're no longer in office, even when they, particularly if they lost an election, you know, they need a pastor. In fact, every, every political person needs a pastor or a rabbi or an imam. They need a spiritual leader in their, in their life. They need it. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to history, some leaks have come out of presidents and all of that meeting with religious leaders like for example and this we could say because this this has been published when when uh, president clinton went through his craziness mm-hmm. with um with his marriage in crisis uh he called in tapped into religious leaders that never shared what what went on in those meetings but nonetheless he reached out so mm-hmm. uh political leaders at all levels of government municipal state and federal need a, a spiritual influence in their lives. And that's the way that I approach it. So I want to establish a relationship. Now, with regard to praying, because some people say, yes, but we have to pray for, and again, let's let's understand what we're saying. And some people say, we, we have to pay, pray for, for our elected officials. That's what the Bible says. That's right. <laughs> and I got it. I got it. But I, 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 I have a fault that when people say that, I go back and say, well, let me see what the Bible says, you know. <laughs> And I go back and I look at the verse. And if you look carefully, the verse implies, in fact, it more than implies, the the verse says that we should pray for those in authority over us. And if you unpack that, it means those sitting in the office, in the seat of authority. So not candidates running for office? Yeah, and I get into trouble with that. I I, I get into trouble, but that's okay. Sorry, I had to call it out. (laughs) I I was going to go there. You just helped me out on this one. So Yeah, so I have no, the church has no obligation to pray for people that are running for office. Even if they're running for office again, they had other offices before, now they're running for office. There's no obligation. It's the people sitting in power, regardless of their platform. And you say, well, how can I pray? Pray for their health. Pray for a clear mind. Pray that they get discernment so when they're in there in the when nobody's around and they have to make a major decision that somehow the Holy Spirit and God reveals the light of of justice into them so that they can make a change. Rather than view the person from a political prism, view them as a human being. Yeah. And pray for them that they had they not they're not they don't have to confront sickness in their body. That 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 they would have some level of discernment when somebody with a different agenda presents themselves. I feel like there's also more freedom in that approach of in the course. sense of that yes. you don't have to then, no. you know, depending on where your convictions are politically, you really don't have to stress or have the burden of, oh no, my political party isn't in office right now. They're right. not the ones in power. Oh, right. oh this, pits, this very specific leader isn't in power right now. No. You believe in a God who transcends all that, of course. right? Like yes. that's, that's that's what I'm hearing. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like a more freeing experience, more stress free experience to yeah. to take your the the spiritual discipline of prayer, uh, you know, in that way to approach it that way when it comes to politics. When, when the governor visited us, uh, um, I got an email from someone, and I, I no better yet, it was a posting on the church. Um, one of the church social media pages. Okay. And it said, uh, yeah, but do you know she's pro-abortion? The mm. person totally, totally missed the point. Mm. Yes, she is. Mm. And I'm not, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're on that point. 
But that would, I'm not approaching her as a, as a politician. I'm approaching her as a pastor. So I need to do as Jesus would do, and I embrace her as a human being. Yeah. And someone that needs some f- level of spiritual covering. Yeah. And that was your point of, as far as yes. how you approach political leaders and right. your suggestion for other religious leaders and how they should approach other political leaders. Go beyond the persona of their of the politician. Right. Talk to the human. Connect with the human being. Right. Because like you said, whether they're in poli- power or not, at some point they will retire too. They won't even be in politics anymore. That person is still that person. So that's the that that's who you're trying to connect Absolutely. with and pa- pastor them as if they were your flock. That's what it sounded to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. What, what I'll, like you know, for example, I have very I'm, I'm Christian, so I have quite a few Jewish. In fact, it's interesting because this uh, Holy Week, one of my Jewish friends sends me a, a Happy Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, um, but if you reach them that way and connect with them as human beings, then throughout the journey of their life, their family and their loved ones will reach out to you, and I think that's mm-hmm. the role that we have to play. So. It, it is because otherwise I'm then doing what I said we shouldn't do is I'm approaching them with an agenda. No, my agenda yeah. is the kingdom's agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think when you capture somebody's heart and somebody's emotion and they trust you and they see you're a person of integrity and they see that you, you're reliable, that you're confidential, mm. you know, that gets you a lot of mileage. You know, where you can then make that one phone call and say, you know, by the way, they're doing something here in the community that I really, I'm not too pleased with right now. I just wanted to let you know, boom, you hang up and all of a sudden, by political magic, that that was going to bother you, all of a sudden gets taken care of, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you're doing it for the community, for your congregation, not for yourself. So right. uh, I think we need, we, you know, we need to pray for those in, seated in office. Whether you like the person or not is irrelevant. <laughs> it's yeah. irrelevant. So, you, you know, you just can't, oh, no, it's the other party that's sitting in the, in, in the seat of power and I'm not going to pray for them. No, no, we're called to pray. And not, what do you pray? Not for the agenda, not for, no. Pray then for the person. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Any other final thoughts before we wrap this up? This was a good conversation about about prayer. I hope people really understood and got a better concept of prayer in general and specifically, you know, it, how it connects with politics. Any final thoughts, Dr. Martin? Yeah, I have a great final thought. A great final <laughs> Let's thought. Let's hear it. Let's yeah, hear it. great. I'm going to get everybody's <laughs> attention right now. A great final thought. Why don't we close in prayer? Let's do it. And I'm, I'm a Christian pastor, so I'm going to pray my way. Let's do it. Lord, we just thank you for this exchange that we have had that has opened our minds to you and to the role that we play as your soldiers, as your people. And I pray, Lord, for those hearing my voice today that this will help to stir inside of our precious listeners your righteousness, your justice, to move as a people given toward you. I pray, dear God, that um, the Holy Spirit will quicken our hearts to reevaluate some of the prayers we've made and make adjustments, or perhaps include in our prayers now things that we didn't do before. And I pray, dear God, that we would be an, an army being called together for the sake of love for our fellow human being, for taking care of the least of these, for becoming truly agents of change in the context that you have placed us. I thank you as I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Mark Rivera. hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you for listening and God bless.